Hello, everyone. This is Victor Jackson. Welcome to the Bible Centered Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Bible Centered with Victor Jackson. I want to thank each of you for your support uh, and for your for your uh, love and for your commitment to listening. Um, so many people have tuned in. If you have not heard, we we do have the videos of each podcast episode. Uh, we're uploading them to YouTube, so you can just type in Bible Center with Victor Jackson on YouTube, and it's right there. And uh, a lot of great things happening. The book is doing well. Thank you all for your support and your feedback and your reviews. I'm excited about this episode today. I pray this will be a blessing to you. Genesis chapter 37 and verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Um, this is an incredible story that we can derive so many uh, incredible nuggets um, out of. The story of Joseph is a um, a unique story uh, because of what I'm going to be talking about today is the the expensive nature of a dream. And the issue with Joseph was how he managed and, and handled um, favor in his life. Because the first point that we have to understand is that his brothers hated him long before he ever got his coat of many colors. They hated him because his father loved him. Uh, they were jealous of his relationship with his father. Uh, they were jealous of his connection uh, with his father. And not only were they jealous of that connection, but through that connection with his father, he received the gift. Now that's you can see the correlation already. That that some that many times when you have a relationship uh, with God, that God will coat your life with a gift. Um, he will put a gift into your life as a reflection of the relationship that uh, you had with him. Now, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Now, just because you have a relationship with God and he gives you a gift, some people leave their relationship with God and just operate in the gift. And because they operate in the gift, they feel like they're still in proper relationship, but it's not true. Um, the gift is just a, a reflection of a close-knit relationship that is either currently happening or has happened before. And Joseph gets this coat of many colors and he's walking around with it and it makes his brothers even 
even more jealous and they hate him even more uh, because of his relationship with his father and because of the coat of many colors, um, which really some theologians believe that that coat of many colors was actually a symbol of succession, uh, that uh, Joseph would would later lead the tribe. And uh, you could see why the brothers would be jealous because how could Joseph lead the tribe whenever he is uh, one of the youngest sons, uh, just a little older than uh, Benjamin. But we would see that come to pass later because in the book of Chronicles, it would show that uh, Joseph because of Reuben's sin, uh, that Joseph got the birthright. And um, and you can see the reflection here that although he Reuben was older and he was supposed to get the birthright, Joseph had the life to get the birthright. And so many different nuances to uh, unpack, unpack there. And so his... Brothers hate him because of his relationship, and his brothers hate him because of this coat of many colors, this gift. Now, Paul, when he taught on the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, he said, Brethren, I would not have you ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. What you have to understand is that you know, gifts are first caught and then taught. Meaning when you get a gift from God, you have to be taught on how to handle that gift with maturity. And one of the greatest teachers that God will use to help you operate in your gift effectively, number one is life. Number two is your brother's. You see, there's something about Joseph enduring hate from his brethren that taught him how to carry and manage that gift properly. So when God gives a gift, when the Father gives you a gift, he will allow life and, and, uh, and hate to train you on how to manage that gift effectively where you don't get the big head, where you don't get lost in pride, uh, but you carry the gift with power and humility. Several years ago, I, I, um, I was preaching and uh, it was just, thing, things were just you know going really well well, well, there was someone from uh, my 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 past um, that someone that's always looked down on me, someone that's always just hated my guts, no matter how much I served them, no matter how much I loved them, no matter how much you know gave them gifts. You know, I'm all about peace. I'm all about love. I'm all about all of that. But this person just would not receive any of it. They just hated me. And I remember this guy he saw 
what God was doing in my life. And when he saw what God was doing in my life, he tried to, uh, you know, em embarrass me in, in front of someone. And to almost in a way to discredit me and discredit my ministry. And this is someone, man, I've washed their, I've washed their, their feet. I mean, I've, I've, I mean, just, I mean, I, I've gone above and beyond to just humble myself before this person. And even though with one word, I could have had a devastating impact, you know, upon his life, but I chose to just keep my mouth shut, humble myself, going about my business. I live unconditional love. Well, after I just didn't say anything um, and went on about my business, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, Victor, now, now I can trust you. He said, because the same humility that it takes to get to the top of a mountain is the same humility to stay on top of that mountain. He said, because if, if you... He said, what happens is when people try to take revenge when they're on top of a mountain or point down the mountain and say, you see, you guys held me back. You guys held me back. Look at me now. Look at me now. Look at me now. God said, when you do that, that's when you peak and you make your journey right back down the mountain. He said, you have to have the same humility and success than you had when you were pursuing success. So... He said, I passed the test because with one word, I could have had a devastating impact on this person, but I kept my mouth shut and humbled myself. And he said, he said, I can trust you with power because I see you won't harm anyone with it. I can trust you with power because I see you won't try to destroy your enemies with it. Power is only safe in the hands of love. And what that is called is a teaching moment on how to handle your gift, how to handle the coat, how to handle a level of gifting. It has to operate by love. Um, I remember when God had to teach me on how to handle spiritual discernment, discerning of spirits. Uh, which which is is my strongest gift. He began to teach me about discerning of spirits because he showed me, this was maybe back in 2010, he showed me that if if the discerning of spirits is not used with the lens of love, that it will lead you to bitterness. Because what discerning of spirits does is that you can see people smiling at you while while talking behind your back. You can see people be fictitious with you, but God reveals to you everything that's going on in their spirit, how they feel about you, what they're saying about you behind your back. And, um, and that's tough to deal with. That, that, that's a tough thing to deal with. And so God taught me on how to operate in the discerning of spirits with love. 
Because he said, when I reveal something to you about someone, I, you need to look at them through the lens of the cross, through the lens of my blood, and not through the lens of offense, not through the lens of ego, not through the lens of how it made you feel. You have to see them how I see them. Because even though they may be your enemies, I still died for them. And what happens is when you operate within a gift with that type of love, you can not only discern the evil in their heart, but you can also discern the good in their heart. That you know you're walking in love when you can see good attributes about your enemies. And there's not a person that in the world that I can't find something good to say about them. Because God will not only show me what's wrong, but he will show me what's right. Because I'm looking at them through the lens of love. And if you don't operate in your gifts in, in, in a lens of love, your, your gifts can destroy you. You can get bitter. You know, you can get bitter at the hypocrisy. But when you are walking in love, it helps you to operate in that gift effectively. And so no matter who likes me or doesn't like me, I see them as Jesus sees them, and that is Jesus died for them, and their soul was worth dying for, and I'm going to uh, make sure I align my life uh, with love and not through the, uh, the pride of gifting. As, as Paul said, um, you know, if I don't have charity, I'm, I'm a sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. And there's a lot of people that have a lot of gifts but don't have a lot of love. And when your gift doesn't have love, um, it proves ineffective. See, a gift is to edify. A gift is to help. A gift is to expand the kingdom. And if a person doesn't have love, no matter how gifted they are, it just, it just won't help anybody. Uh, I asked someone years ago, I said, what good is an anointing if, if you waste it on yourself? The Bible says that the anointing was to enable, was to, uh, it was divine enablement. It is to enable you to help somebody else, enable you to fulfill a mission. But what good is an anointing if you just waste it on your own ambitions and your own self and, you know, it's always for edification for others. So what I'm talking about is the processes of life that God will bring you through to teach you on how to carry the gift, to teach you how to carry the gift. Um, several years ago, I was uh, preaching at a place and uh, they wouldn't uh, get me a place to stay. Um, and so I had to sleep in a Starbucks parking lot. And uh, thank God, you know, my wife wasn't uh, with me. My son wasn't born at the time. But I slept in a Starbucks parking lot. And after the morning service, I slept in the Starbucks parking lot again and then went for the evening service. And then in the evening service, uh, the leader got up and started talking about how you got to love your brother and 
how you got to take care of people and how you got to be generous to people. And man, I'm telling you, I, I think my ears started turning red. <laughs> uh, because, you know, at that time, very early in our ministry, uh, we were giving minimum, you know, over $10,000 to missions as uh, traveling evangelists. And so now I'm hearing this person that has me sleeping in a Starbucks parking lot talking about how you got to you gotta take care of people and you got to treat them right. And, and here I am, you know, smelling like coffee, you know, on the platform. <laughs> and, uh, and my ears were getting so hot. I wanted to get up in the pulpit and I wanted to just kind of talk about how much we gave to missions. And you know how you could, you know, say something right with the wrong spirit? That's what I was thinking about doing. But while I was thinking about doing, the Lord said, Victor, be quiet. Don't you say a word. You just get up there and you preach to my people and you love them. So I didn't say anything. I got up, gave honor, preached with love, and then had to drive. Uh, and, and the pastor and his wife and the whole church, they were in the altar weeping and crying. And it was a powerful move of God. And then I had to drive, you know, hours home because I didn't have a place to stay. And on that drive home, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost talking. On that drive home, the Lord said, now I can trust you. He said, because I wanted to see if you would taint the pulpit. I wanted to see if you would use that pulpit for personal ambition instead of helping my people. He said, Victor, you know how many people I give a pure word to, but by the time they speak it out from the pulpit, it's tainted and corrupted by their own motives and their own agendas. He said, it's very rare for me to give a pure word and it leaves the vessel pure. And he said, you passed the test because you had every opportunity to take a subtle shot or, or to do some damage, but you didn't. You just loved and you preached. He said, I see you can handle the gift. And it was right after that that I've, I've started getting uh, phone calls to, to preach to, you know, millions and millions of people. But it's because I passed the test. And if I don't learn how to pass the test with hundreds, God won't trust you with thousands. If you don't learn how to pass the test with thousands, God won't trust you with millions. If you don't know how to pass the test with millions of people, you won't pass the test with billions. And so I had to go, I had a gift, but life and the brethren had to teach me how to carry the gift. My goodness. It had to teach me on how to wear the coat with humility. And so, you know what I did after God told me that? I passed the test. I'm the type of guy that if I pass the test, I want to make sure I passed it. I hope that makes sense. Like, if I, if I, if I made a 97, I want to take it again to make 100. So you know what I did? That same pastor, I booked him to preach for him 
three months later. I just wanted to make sure my spirit was right. And guess what? I went prepared knowing I wasn't going to have to have a place to stay. I went to my same spot in that Starbucks parking lot. And after I preached and a, a bunch of people were baptized, the Lord just started showing me how that pastor was struggling um, financially. And so, you know what I did? He, I went after the prayer time. During the prayer time, the Lord told me to go to the bank. I went to the bank during the altar call. I drove to the bank. I took out $500. I drove back to the church. They were wrapping up the prayer. I gave that pastor $500 in cash. I said, don't give me anything. This is for you. I want to be a blessing to you. Because I wanted to make sure I was moving in humility and love and my brethren made sure I knew how to handle the gift properly. So when you have that type of foundation, you, you move very differently, move very differently. There's no one in this world that can stop me from loving them. No one. And that pastor still is, you know, one of my uh, good friends uh, to this day. Um, and he doesn't know the type of process that I went through. But imagine me preaching to millions of people and now getting on top of that mountain and pointing a finger at him and say, hey, you didn't get me a hotel. Look, but look at me now. The moment I, I would have done that, God would have took me off that mountain and you would have seen a rapid descent because I cannot be trusted with power whenever you abuse it because of lack of love. And that was one thing about Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus in Matthew 5, that he went up to a mountain and the Bible says he set himself on that mountain. And the Bible says when he set himself on the mountain, that the disciples came to him. Here's the lesson. The, les the lesson is when you go up the mountain, they'll look at you. When you stay on the mountain, they'll listen to you. He went up and they looked. When he stayed, they listened. And so God's not looking for a bunch of people that rapidly go up a mountain and then rapidly come down. He's looking for somebody that's willing to set themselves and acclimate to the climate and pay the price of discipline to stay there. And in all of my ministry, I have never personally attacked anyone from the pulpit or in private because I love people and I will not use my power to harm anybody. I'm going to walk in love. See, I got a gift, but I, w I was taught by the Spirit on how to handle that gift. And so it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of um, training from the Spirit to teach you on how to handle it. And it's, the, it's really the expensive nature of a dream because if, if there's going to be a dream, there has to be a discipline, a discipline 
by the Holy Ghost, a discipline by the Spirit that is um, so important. Where there is no vision, the people perish. One translation says, where there is no dream, the people perish, or where there is no revelation, the people perish. Vision produces discipline. A dream produces discipline. Um, because if you are single, you are not, you have a vision or a dream of the person you want to marry. So even though you're single, that doesn't mean you're available. I'm, I'm, I got to talk to somebody listening. Just because you're single doesn't mean you're available, meaning that you're not going to just talk to any guy or any girl that comes up and talks to you if they don't fit or if they're not in alignment with the dream. So your dream gives you the ability to say no. Vision produces discipline. A dream produces discipline. And so a dream will bring you under uh, a, a, a present weight and restriction uh, to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. And so Joseph had to go through this process for his dream to come to pass because there's two components here that I, I want to deal with. And the one thing is that he dreamed. And the second thing is that he told his brethren. Um, that there's an issue. And, and as, I'm, as I begin to pray over this, and I've been wrestling with this in my spirit, the thought that came to me is the, the philosophy of vision and emotional awareness. The philosophy of vision and, and emotional awareness. You see, God gives a vision, but with that vision, in order for it to be accomplished, you have to have an emotional awareness with people. And so some people are so great with vision that they compromise the vision because they lack emotional awareness with their surroundings, with people around them. Then on the flip side of that, there are, so, there are people that are so emotionally aware of people that they compromise their vision. So there has to be a balance here. And so what we're seeing here is, is that Joseph has a vision, but he lacks the emotional awareness on how to bring the vision to pass. Who in the world would want to hear that you're going to be over them? You got a coat. Your dad loves you. And now you're actually going to tell me the dream. We already hate you. Don't, you got to read the room, Joseph. Nobody wants to help your dream come to pass. You tell them the dream, man, they're going to throw you in the pit. Hey, stop telling everybody your dream. You, you, you're putting a target on your back. You already got a target on your back. You got a relationship with God and you got a coat, a gifting that people see. You're already, that's strike one and two. Strike three is when you tell them. Oh, by the way, this is what God's going to do for me. You know what they're going to do? They're going to do everything in their power to make sure that doesn't happen. Just to prove you wrong. 
So he had a vision, but he lacked emotional awareness. And there are examples of this in history. You see, you see, Alexander the Great had a vision of conquering the world. And he had a, an issue with his emotional awareness with his people, with his soldiers. He had emotional awareness to some capacity because he made sure he paid them. He made sure this and that and this and that. But his vision was so great, it stretched his people where they were getting very discontented with him. They were getting very, you know, there was you know, concepts of rebellion rising up because they were spending six and seven years away from their homes in Macedonia. Uh, they were they were spending time away from their children and their families to go on these wars and these these uh, adventures to go and conquer India and Mesopotamia and and all of these places. Um, and so he lacked uh, emotional awareness as the leader, and it led to a lot of uh, division in his troops. And he conquered a lot. But you're seeing here that his vision was greater than his emotional awareness. Yes, he got a lot done, but at the expense of actually hurting a lot of people. There were a lot of lives that were lost as a consequence of his dream because he lacked emotional awareness. And people that lack emotional awareness uh, as leaders, um, um, it, it can it can compromise their dream. And then, then there's... Uh, and like a like a Michael Jordan, a Michael Jordan. Yes, he has a vision of being a champion, but he was the guy that would punch his teammates. You know, he was the guy that that would 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 uh, treat his teammates terribly. No one ever said that Michael Jordan was a great teammate. But yes, he got his vision of championships, but he had no emotional awareness of his surroundings. And. That's 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 an issue. As a leader, you want to have a divine balance between vision and emotional awareness. Now, on the flip side, if you have so much emotional awareness with what people are thinking, what how people are feeling, you'll never have the courage to go to your go towards your dream or towards your vision before because of fear of 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 uh, someone looking negatively at you. Because of fear of how people look at you or how people see you. Oh, I don't want to look prideful. Oh, I don't want to look too anointed. Oh, I don't want to look this. Well, you'll never accomplish anything if you don't learn how to go after your dream. And, and there are famous people that have died because they had a vision and they were going after their vision. But the problem is they had so much emotional awareness with their hometown that they kept visiting their hometown. And every time, and when they would go back and visit their hometown, they would get shot by old friends because they did not have enough vision to detach from people that were trying to harm them. They were so emotionally aware of their surroundings, of their feelings, of their emotions. Oh, I don't want to make them mad. Oh, they're jealous of me, so I'm going to help them. I'm going to help them. Well, they're, they're never going to like you. You know, you got to learn to go after your vision even when people don't like you. I want you to understand something very clearly. Greatness and being liked are not synonymous terms.
People have made it synonymous terms. Oh, 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 great is being liked. No, no. Um, and it's, it's not synonymous terms. You have to, being great is your obedience to God and not everybody's going to like your obedience to God. And you have to, you have to understand that. And so there are people that have so much emotional awareness around them that they can't even lead because the, the vision's small, but the emotional, emotional awareness is high. You see, a lot of vision with a little emotional awareness will lead to a dictatorship. A lot of emotional awareness and little vision will lead to, uh, in a sense, some form of slavery because you're a slave to a mob mentality. You're a slave to a herd mentality. You can't make a move without perceiving what 20 other people think. Friedrich Nietzsche, he, he had an, an incredible thought uh, about this, about the decadence of culture and how people, because of the dehumanization happening in the world, he said that people would actually lose because of the concepts of evolution and things of that nature. He said people would actually lose their will because they have lost their humanity. So, so in the book, A Will to Power, he argued that, that because of us trying to say we came from uh, monkeys and that we are devaluing our uniqueness. He said that we would actually lose our will. There's no need to have a will and we will just blend in with the crowd and the herd mentality and the mob mentality, which will have us all just wanting to fit in. And he said that anytime someone, a strong personality raises up, he said that the herd will come against the strong person with the strong mentality and try to destroy him because they're different and they're not going with the flow. And so a strong emotional awareness with no vision leads to a herd mentality. But a strong vision with no emotional awareness leads to a very, like an oppressive leader. So there has to be a divine balance uh, of vision and emotional awareness. What we see here is, is Joseph, he, he has a vision, he has a dream, but he doesn't have the emotional awareness yet on how to accomplish that dream. He goes and tells his brothers. His brothers want to kill him. They, they throw him into a pit in the wilderness. They sell him. After they sell him, he goes... Uh, as a slave in Potiphar's house. And what, you, what you're seeing here is Joseph encountering different relationships and learning how to manage different relationships in this, in this process. Potiphar's wife comes after him. So he runs. And 
he he flees because he didn't want to sin against God. That's an emotional awareness development. You know, you just don't hang around and be tempted or let anything like that happen. He he ran, even even though um, he would be thrown into prison later. Um, he had a conviction to not do evil in the sight of his God. Um, he goes he goes into prison, and you see he's interpreting the baker and the butler's dream. You see his relationships. He's prospering even in, in prison. And you know the story. Later, he would interpret Pharaoh's dream and look at how he talks to Pharaoh. We see jo Joseph went through this process. And finally, when he goes to Pharaoh's court because Pharaoh can't uh, interpret a dream, they get this Hebrew boy from prison, Joseph, to come and interpret for him. And Pharaoh's first words to him are like, hey, you're the one that can interpret dreams. And look what Joseph says. He says, I'm not the one that can interpret dreams. Only God can interpret your dreams. That, my friend, is the response of somebody that's gone through a process. He said, it is not in me to do this. Only God can do this for you. And that is that that is that is an incredible, incredible process of of uh, the coat him going through the, the process and his character showing that he was worthy uh, of the coat of many colors. And this is what Joseph said in Genesis 41 and 16. And Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Think about it. You've been in prison You've gone through this whole process, and whenever there's a way for you to get out of it by interpreting a dream, Joseph says, listen, the answer is not in me. It's in God. See, when you've gone through process and God elevates you, you're not quick to take credit. You give all the glory back to God because you have survived the sifting and you see how he mastered vision and emotional awareness. And, and at the final stage of his life. And it's the, it's the expensive nature of a dream. Every dream has to go through this type of crucifixion. The shift in the book of Matthew is Matthew 16. Whenever Jesus, they were talking about the first 15 chapters, popularity, healings, miracles, and everything like that. But Matthew 16, everything shifts when he starts saying, I'm going to die and take up your cross. Everything shifts with the cross because she said, this is how I'm bringing the dream into reality. I'm bringing the dream into reality through pain and suffering and through a cross and through discipline. That's the expensive nature of a dream. Everyone has to go through their own journey to become what God wants them to become because it's in the journey that you're molded. God can't give it to you quickly because you wouldn't be able to handle it. We, you're not mature yet for everything he wants to give you. He's, he's posturing you. He's teaching you. He's teaching you how to walk, teaching you how to manage relationships, teaching you, 
teaching you how to talk to people, how to respect people, how to love people. So whenever he brings you to that height, you can handle it and stay there instead of having to learn through this cycle all over again. It's the expensive nature of a dream. And uh, I talked about the, the coats that Joseph went through and how the first coat, whenever he was in his father's house, it was the coat of, of the promise. And his brothers uh, rented from him. The second coat he had was the coat of process that he had in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife rent that coat from him. And the third coat was the coat in, in Pharaoh's house in the palace, which was the coat of fulfillment. And, and no devil in hell can rend from you the coat of fulfillment. And the revelation about Joseph is that Joseph never rent his own coat. He never rent his own identity. He never internalized his process, meaning he did not look at himself differently or with guilt or condemnation in his process. He didn't rend his identity. He didn't rend his coat. In 2 Samuel, there's a young lady by the name of Tamar that no one talks about, but she had a coat of many colors just like Joseph did. 2 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 18. And she had a garment of diverse colors upon her, for which such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins apparelled. Then his servant brought her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garment of diverse colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went on crying. No one talks about Tamar. Tamar uh, was raped. She was taken advantage of. She had a, a coat of many colors that was given to her by the king. It was to show that she was a king's daughter, that she was royalty. But whenever she went through pain, abuse, hurt, heartache, process, she internalized that pain and she rent her own coat. And when you rend your own coat, you are closing the door on your dream. You're closing the door on your story. You're saying God's done with you. You're saying God's finished. And no one ever hears about Tamar because Tamar now closes herself away in Absalom's house and no one ever hears of her again. No one ever hears of her again. And that did not have to be her story. Do not rend your own coat because if the enemy rends your coat, it just means you've outgrown it. Don't rend your own identity. Don't tear yourself down because of how tough and difficult the process is, because of how tough and difficult the journey is. Do not tear your own coat. She thought God was done with her, but she didn't have to rend that coat because, because God could still get glory in her life. Even after the abuse, even after the hurt, even after the heartache, she did not have to be defined by that moment. 
there's still life after the pain. There's still life after the process. There's still life after the trauma. There's still life after the tragedy. There's still life after the loss. Don't rend the coat. Because as long as you don't rend it, if your enemy rends it from you, it means you've outgrown it. And it means God is getting you ready for a new coat. That's what happened with Joseph. They rent his first coat and they got him measured for a second coat. They rent the coat of process off of him. They got him measured for the coat of fulfillment. Anytime a brother or a sister tears your coat, don't try to sew it back together because it means that you've outgrown that coat and God's getting you ready for a new coat. And I told the church um, uh, about how um, Jesus is God manifested in the flesh and how Jesus came in a coat of flesh. He had a coat of flesh, but on the cross, they put a spear in his side and they rent his coat. And when they rent his coat, it got him measured for a resurrection coat. And I talked about how when I go to the suit store to get measured for a new coat, the first thing they do is they tell me, stretch your arms out, put your feet together. Let me put the pins in you. I am measuring you for a new coat. Well, they stretch Jesus' arms out. They put his feet together. Then they put the pins in them and they got him measured for a new coat. So you have to understand that it's time to take off the spirit of heaviness and put on the garment of praise. You've got to learn to praise him in the process. You got to learn to praise him while things are being torn, while things are being taken. It's the expensive nature of a dream. Everybody has to go through it. Everybody has to go through it. That's in the church, in the world. Everything costs something. And you had, Joseph had a vision and a dream that was great enough to push him through his pain. You've got to get a hold of a vision and a dream that, that gets you up to continue where I can't quit. I can't throw in the towel. Because it is a part of the journey. I said it's a part of the journey. It's a part of the journey. Everyone has to go through it. Everyone has to go through it, whether, whether in sports, whether in business, whether in church, everybody has to pay the price somewhere. It's the expensive nature of a dream, but you've got to hold on to that vision and that coat. Do not tear your coat. God's going to bring it to pass. And when he went into the palace, he had two sons. And the first son that he had name was Manasseh, which means God hath made me to forget all the toil of my father's house. Then he had a second coat, he had a second son named Ephraim, which means doubly fruitful. And whenever um whenever 
Jacob and Joseph would be reunited in the palace, Jacob blessed both sons and, and he put the right hand on Ephraim. He put the right hand on fruitfulness. He put the right hand on the future. Joseph wanted to put the right hand on the past, but he put the right hand on the future. And he said, Ephraim is going to be greater than Manasseh. The future is going to be greater than the past. I'm telling you, there's a right hand of blessing coming on your future. And you have to stop thinking about all the opportunities that that you lost and as if that hindered your dream. And you have to understand that those are actually steps in fulfillment to your dream. See, because that's what God does. If God would have elevated you with that coat on around those brothers, then you would have reached the pinnacle and your brothers would have destroyed you while you're on that pinnacle. But what God did is he sent you through a process to form you, to mold you, to mold your character, to where, watch this, where later you could even help the people that tried to harm you. And that's what Joseph said, you didn't send me here, God did. And he said, God sent me before you to preserve your lives by a great deliverance. He said, God did this. God just used you to put me in position, to put me in a place to bless you. That's why you don't get corrupted by anything that has happened to you because everything that's happened was supposed to happen to get you into the place that you are now and to expose who needed to be in your corner when God elevates you and who doesn't need to be in your corner. You know, um, we've got to get a vision, but we've got to have an emotional awareness that we can't trust everybody with that vision. You don't want to expose your gift too quickly. This is why Jesus had to be raised in Nazareth. Nazareth was a place for nobody. It was a rejected place. No, nothing good came out of Nazareth. But, but God needed a place to hide for 30 years before he started his ministry. And the best place for him to hide was rejection. Because if he would have exposed his gift too quickly, his brother's would have tried to kill him before he started his ministry at 30. God is hiding you to release you at the right time. That's why hell tried to destroy him in infancy. When they, when they tried to announce Jesus before his time, when they tried to announce that Jesus was the Messiah before his time, they tried to kill him at two years old. But because he went through process, two things we learn about Jesus in 30 years before he started his ministry. All we know about him is, number one, he grew. He grew in favor with God and man. How, what you, how you handle obscurity is to make sure you grow. He grew in wisdom and favor with God and man. And how he handled 30 years of not being seen was the foundation for how he handled three and a half years with being seen. You see, that 30-year process, everybody wants his three and a half years of ministry. No one wants his 30-year process. 30 years, he didn't identify who he was. Do you understand what type of humility that takes? 
30, 30 years, he didn't say one word of who he was, what he was, or what he would do. He didn't share his dream with anybody. He just started acting on his dream. See, that's what you got to do. Stop talking and get to work. Stop talking and get to work. Stop talking, start praying. Stop talking, start reading. Stop talking, start working. And start walking in fulfillment of that dream. That's all we know about Jesus is that he grew and he walked. Had favor with God and man. That's all we know about him for 30 years. And how he handled his 30 years of obscurity determined the power of his three and a half years of ministry. How you handle the process of when you're, test, when, when you're tested and your coat is being tried and everything like that and your coat is being torn, you're being tested right now to see if you can handle the glory of the ministry and the anointing and the power that's coming later. And so what you have to understand is that God is working in your heart. God is working in this process. He is developing you. He is, he is guiding you. He is strengthening you. And hold on to the vision because it will come to pass. Where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint. There's no, there's no need to work. There's no need to pray. There's no need to study. There's no, need, there's no need to get up in the morning if you don't have a vision, if you don't have a dream. Hold on to your dream. It's going to enable you to get up and go after God. Um, everyone wants the John the Baptist ministry. Nobody wants to eat locusts. No one wants to eat honey. No one wants to be in the desert until the day of your showing. Why was he in the desert? He was poor. His parents died. He was living by himself in the desert. But it's in that desert that he discovered his voice. See, a voice isn't developed, here it is, without an obstruction. I'm going to say that again. Sound can't come out of your mouth without a hindrance. See, the hindrance in your vocal cords project sound. Obstruction is needed for a voice to develop. I'm telling you that your resistance is developing your voice. Sound can't even come out without resistance. Something has to, has to block in order to project. Are you getting this right now? It's a, part of, it's a part of the process. You had to go through the resistance so your voice could be projected. So when a Philip and, and when a Herodias is trying to shut down John the Baptist's voice, he just keeps preaching because that wasn't his first time encountering a hindrance. That wasn't his first time encountering opposition. It wasn't his first time encountering, encountering resistance against his ministry or against his calling or against his coat. And yes, Joseph's coat was much better than John's. Joseph had a coat of many colors. John had a camel's girdle. And if I had to vote, I would go with the coat of many colors. Thank you very much. But the resistance allowed his voice to project beyond anything that he could imagine. And that voice made a way 
for Christ. And that was his calling. He must increase, I must decrease. Go after your calling. You're in a process. You're being developed. The obstructions are a part of the development of a voice. I have a conviction with what I do, with what I say, with my ministry, with my, my love for people, because I've been developed and weathered uh, by, by suffering and pain, and, I, and I've paid a price. And so when you pay a price, it gives you a conviction to have a backbone, uh, to stand for the dream, to stand for the vision, to stand for the, for the word of God. And so, but I've had to learn a lot of, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of things on this journey. And I've, you know, I tell you what, guys, forgiveness is a powerful tool. Love is a powerful tool. Don't let anybody have you tear your coat. Don't tear your coat. Don't tear your coat. Don't don't tell your brothers, but don't tear your coat. You don't need to tell your brothers that you got a dream. They are, they can see your coat, and your coat is doing more talking than your dream can do. And as a matter of fact, they thought Joseph got the coat of many colors because of, you know, because of how his favor was with his dad, but not understanding that later that, that, that this wasn't some random thing. This wasn't some coincidence that Joseph got a coat. Here it is. Here's the lesson. And this is what I'm closing with. Time authenticated Joseph's coat. Time showed that Jacob made the right decision given Joseph that coat. Right now, people don't understand. The brothers are jealous. The brothers don't like you. The sisters don't like you because they see the coat and they don't think you deserve it. You don't deserve that type of gifting. You don't deserve that type of voice. You don't deserve that type of influence. You don't deserve that type of job. You don't deserve that type of favor. They're just looking at you like, why'd you get it? But time authenticates the coat. So give it some time. Don't respond to every, every attack. Don't respond to every, every uh, arrow every javelin that's thrown at you. Just allow some time to pass and it will authenticate that God, your father, made the right decision. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for more information, you can follow my social media page, Victor M. Jackson, or you can come visit us in Orlando, Florida at Bible Center of Orlando. Thank you for joining us. God bless.